Welcome to the Lutheran Outdoor Ministry Podcast. This is the place to be to hear all the latest news and information about the world's finest outdoor ministry network. And now, as always, here's your host, the Executive Director of Lutheran Outdoor Ministries, Mr. Don Johnson. Hey, everybody. It's great to have you here today, and we have a super good podcast lined up today. Our guest uh, that we're interviewing today is Ross Murray. And Ross Murray, he's a deacon in the ELCA, and uh, he has a ministry that's incredible. Uh, His full-term job is he's the senior editor for this organization called GLAD. G-L-A-A-D. And in his free time, he serves as the director of the Naming Project, which is a camp program that has deep roots in the ELCA. It's a two-week program at our L-O-M camp, uh, Bailey Camp in Minnesota. And it's a two-week program for teenagers who identify as LGBTQ and their allies. And I've gotten to know Ross over the past few years because he's been very involved with us as we've been forming up the Total Inclusion Grant Project that we've been doing uh, with the help of the ELCA. Ross has been a big leader in that whole project. But Ross, thank you for being with us today. I know you're a busy man, and thank you for taking the time. But most of all, thank you for the fantastic stuff you're doing by way of ministry. I'm going to start out by asking you, Ross, first of all, what is GLAD? What does GLAAD stand for? (laughs) Sure. Well, it, it is very good to be here with you, chatting with you. Like you said, we've been working together now for two, three years, um, and putting together some really great programming to make camps more welcome and inclusive. And so I'm excited to be a part of that. So my day job is at GLAD, GLAD with two A's. Um, I'll do one correction. I'm the senior director, not an editor. Um, I'm not that, I'm not that good of an editor. I I make someone else do editing for me. Um, and I head up education training. So GLAD is an LGBTQ advocacy organization. And our primary area of work is with media. So it is media representation of LGBTQ people. And that might mean film or television or journalism uh, or comic books or gaming or pop culture or music, kind of anything that influences culture and how people think and feel about the LGBTQ community and what might influence that. I've been there now for 10 years. And if you're I've shifted jobs several times. So I've been the director of religion, faith, and values, director of news, director of a Southern stories program focused on LGBTQ people in the South, global LGBTQ issues, and now heading up something called um, the GLAD Media Institute, 
where I lead education and training. So doing a lot of proactive training, consulting work with LGBTQ people, with um, media outlets like journalists, occasionally entertainment, um, especially if it's religion related, because they still bring me into religion stuff, um, and with individual advocates who want to find a way to have their stories be told in the media in a way that's fair and accurate and inclusive. So things like this podcast are exactly how we work with and how we create uh, media. And it is fun. And my job is different every single day. And, that, and so that that's a natural because um, for somebody to help us with total inclusion, um, which is focused on helping all of our camps and retreat centers in ELCA be more welcoming and inviting of people who are often marginalized, people who are marginalized because they are persons of color, people who are marginalized because they live with disabilities, people who are marginalized because they identify as LGBTQ. And uh, we hit the jackpot when we got you involved in, in the Total well, Inclusion Project. We hit the jackpot when we got you involved in LOM. And even though the naming project is not officially affiliated with the ELCA and therefore not officially a uh, member organization of LOM, we consider the naming project to be part of who we are as LOM. I hope that the naming project uh, I hope that's a, that's a mutual thing. I trust that it is. Oh yes, the the relationship's been very good, and it's been. I I'm. I hope it's been mutually beneficial. I know it's been very good for us to keep those ties and those connections together really strong. And that's. Yeah. Um. It it's great to have ministry partners that you know we're just a little we're a, a little camp program that's kind of running a one week a summer thing, and it's good to be part of a bigger, broader, wider network and a bigger, broader, wider church. So the naming project. Has it always taken place at Bay Lake Camp? Yeah, ever since we began the camp, um, the naming project began as a weekly meeting in a church basement in Minneapolis. And <laughs> it was, you know, going to be kind of envisioned a drop-in center or a meetup and dinner time. And one of our other co-founders, Brad Frostley, uh, came to us and said, you know, I've always had this idea of creating a church camp for uh, LGBTQ uh, teenagers. And I attended and worked at a camp. Brad did, Jay Wiesner, the other founder, all did. And so we thought that was a brilliant idea and started and found a home at Bay Lake and did our first camp there in 2004. And we've returned there every year until COVID messed up our streak. And they've been a really good host for us. They've been a really good partner. They really understand what we're trying to do with our program. We, we, we get along really well, and I enjoy the work that we that we do together. Yeah. So now, you're um, a deacon in the ELCA. Correct. And so, for your work with GLAD, do you have um, a call from church council to serve as a deacon in the work you do there? Right. My call yeah. as a deacon is a synodically authorized call to GLAD. Oh, it's synodically authorized. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I'm not I'm not serving through a congregation. Um, my work is directly with GLAD. And the weird thing is I held the job at GLAD before five years before I got consecrated as a deacon, or now ordained, I guess is what we're calling it. Um, ordained as a deacon. And so my 
I, in that odd spot that I work for a secular organization, they will make my employment decisions, um, you know, about my salary or firing or hiring or whatever, but the call is attached to that work. And that's, that's what the church has said. You are called unordained to do this LGBTQ advocacy through this institution, through this organization. And it, it, it's a way that keeps those ties and those relationships with the church while also uh, working at one of the leading movement organizations that really does incredible work shaping LGBTQ uh, acceptance and advancement and equality uh, for the entire movement. The naming, how did the name, what's the name come from? What's the significance of it? So the idea behind that is that LGBTQ youth get called a lot of names. And part of bullying that experience that young people experience often is having labels and names really applied to them. Most of them slurs, ones I won't repeat here, but ones that young people hear. And sometimes if you hear it enough, you take on those names, those identities for yourself. And we believe that part of the job of the church and youth ministry in particular, is to remind young people that God knows them by name and that in baptism, God gives them the name child of God. And so um, for us, for young people, it is how intimately we are known by God um, and understood and that we are also named and claimed and labeled by God as a child of God. That is awesome. I, I, I knew there were had to be some significance to it. And what a great name and what a great affirmation for kids who identify as LGBTQ and to know that they have that kind of affirmation and know that that kind of affirmation is coming from the church. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's fantastic. But um, you mentioned youth ministry and uh, I, I just want to, make sure we mention, I think many of our listeners will already know this, but you are also an author. And uh, and you have a recently published book, uh, Made, Known, Loved, Developing, uh, LGBTQ Inclusive Youth Ministry. And uh, how are the sales going on there? sales are good i've seen some numbers i don't get like you know a daily update but um i think i've i've sold enough to recoup the cost for the publisher so i appreciate that and and they say that it's performing really well and you know that's my first book and i i feel like i have more books in me and i'm i'm working on that but you know, you kind of do your first one, you kind of wonder, is this useful? Is this helpful? Is this something that anyone else is going to want? And I was worried because a youth ministry book about LGBTQ youth that primarily centers around experience at a camp is a pretty niche book, right? It's That's yeah. not broad appeal. This is not a Dan Patterson novel. Um, this is for a very specific type of person. But what I found is that and this is partly why I wrote the book, too. We've been doing this LGBTQ youth ministry now for almost 20 years. And be- when people learn and know that, other folks come to us with these questions about, you know, what should I do about sleeping arrangements? What do I do with this kid who just came out? How do I handle um, someone who's transitioning um, in the youth group? What do I do if parents aren't accepting? What if I do if I'm in a congregation that I don't think is going to be very accepting and someone comes out to me? And so 
helping people to proactively think through those questions and to think through finding the right answers for themselves was really important. Um, in all of this, it's so contextual and there's a lot of it depends. And so instead of giving really, you know, direct answers, there's a lot of you have to examine what are your values? What's your context? What's your situation? And then you can come up with the right solution that's going to be faithful. It's going to reflect your values, and it's going to make sure that uh, that everyone, including the LGBTQ youth, feel safe. And folks have really been uh, excited about it. I just finished a three-week book club with the ELCA Youth Ministries and the ELCA Youth Ministry Network. That was essentially, they, they bought my book um, and gave them out. And then on Tuesdays, uh, we'd hop on a Zoom and just talk about some of the questions or thoughts or themes that came up from that. Um, and it's been, it's been really fun to do stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the questions that camp leaders have about how to be inclusive of LGBTQ uh, youth. And, you know, just some of the basic questions, living arrangements, cabins, bathrooms, showers, the whole mm -hmm. gamut like that. One of the things that I really appreciate about you, and this has been important for me personally, as well as our colleagues throughout the camping world, is you have made it safe for us to ask the questions and to not worry about whether that would be seen as a inappropriate question or whether it would be seen as uh, what are you stupid or what you know a type of thing. So I know that the people who have already had the opportunity to interact with you really appreciate that uh, mm -hmm. what what you have been bringing to this community. So Good. thank. you. Thank you very, very much for that. But would you uh, just tell us a little bit about how it is that you got to this point in your life? And I, I'm particularly interested at this point in your life, um, what, what is it that you find compelling about helping the church with all this? Mm -hmm. and, and and being part of the church and serving as a deacon. I, I'm a little curious about your background. Did you grow up in the church? Did you grow up in the ELCA? What are some of the formative moments in your life? Yeah, I, I did grow up in the church. I grew up in the Lutheran church. I'm a lifelong Lutheran. I'm from a teeny tiny town in northern Minnesota, um, close to International Falls. If people know that, it's the coldest place in the country. I feel like one of the years that was incredibly formative for me was I think I was 14. And for some reason that summer, it was it was experience with the camp that I was attending and had gone and kind of had been there as an elementary school camper and then went back and had this experience of um, a fine arts camp that was putting on a play and then going back and being kind of a more longer term volunteer and uh, and really shifting from kind of childhood into adulthood and realizing that I was building and making some incredible friends and connections and felt part of a safe and caring community in a way that wasn't possible in my small town growing up. And so the camp experience for me was really formative and probably drove me 
to, uh, I studied uh, religion. I actually studied youth ministry as my undergraduate and wanted to build and develop programs like that that were going to be faith-forming, identity-forming for young people so they can answer questions about who they are and how they belong in this world and how they relate to the rest of the world and how they relate to God. I was not thinking of doing LGBTQ-specific stuff. I I figured out that I was gay, but kind of thought that my career could go, you know, could just sort of surpass that or I'd just be single and it didn't matter. Life intervenes. I fell in love. I also, after college, joined a, at the time, kind of prominent in Lutheran circles, traveling musical ministry team. And as an experience with that program, because I'd had such a good experience being myself and being out and sharing who I was, I did. And that organization did not react as well as my college experience had. And so there was a lot of struggle and eventually I was kicked out of the organization. And so my advocacy path really traces back to that point where I realized that with all the privilege that I had with a caring family, um, a loving community, a supportive community, I couldn't change the mind or the hearts of the leaders of this organization or even those um, those that were closest to me on my immediate team. And so and so that moved me down a path of advocacy where people that were trying to work to make the Lutheran Church more welcoming, inclusive, heard about my story, were, you know, were upset on my behalf, but also invited me to do this work that was going to help make the Lutheran Church and the ELCA specifically more inclusive. So um, that was making congregations, uh, reconciling in Christ. And eventually about that time was when the ELCA began their um, their sexuality study with an endpoint of, you know, making um, policy changes on ordination and uh, marriage or relationship recognition at the time. And being a part of that process, which was doing both my like religion, faith work, and infusing that with youth work. The naming project was going on during all of that. I would run youth kind of programming tracks for this organization for uh, what was then called Lutherans Concerned around 2010, 2011, realizing that it was great that we made the Lutheran Church uh, more welcoming, more inclusive. But that doesn't necessarily change all of society. And so my current work at GLAD is so much like bigger, broader society, where the church is absolutely a part of that. And it goes alongside of everything else where you get and hear information about us and our lives. And so it's been able to be married between those two things for a really long time. Uh, And that's what I think what I've appreciated so much about that is that it's kind of kept these two strands always in orbit with each other. And even now at GLAAD, even though my job is not religion specific, they're really supportive of me doing religion work. So this this panel that I'm doing tomorrow when we're recording, sorry, you won't get to hear it if you listen to this, but uh, that is a really good interfaith youth work panel event conversation because the same thing is happening in Jewish and Muslim and Sikh circles as well. Uh, this has little to do with your work directly, but another curiosity question. Here's this kid who grew up near International Falls, Minnesota, and now you're living and working in the middle of Manhattan, New York City, Greenwich Village. Oh my gosh, that's like a different planet. How's that going for you? <laughs> I will say New York City has been very good to me. I, I'm, I've been here for more than 10 years now. Oh. 
I think I get how this is not for everybody, but it is it has been nothing but opportunity for me. Even this last year of a pandemic, which has drastically changed how I interact with the city and kept me much closer to my home and my immediate neighborhood, uh, still provided all these opportunities just to like feel more rooted and grounded into a place. And, and I think, you know, growing up knowing that I was gay and that I was different and that even though I didn't come out when I was in high school, um, being teased for it, I recognize that me being different fits in really well in a metropolitan area where a lot of people are different in some way and that we're a city that's different. Um, And when I do my work, I can relate really well to people that are from rural areas and live in small towns um, and grow up and kind of what the culture is like, what's the community like, what are, you know, there are limitations. There are some things that are really great um, and uh, enjoyable about small town living. And I also understand really urban living, living here in Manhattan and, and being a part of a neighborhood. And I used to joke when I grew up, my nearest neighbors were five miles down the road. And now there's a million people within five miles of me. Um, and, and in some ways, in some ways, when I look at the churches, churches in rural areas and in urban areas are very much facing the same kinds of struggles as well. So as far as different as they seem, they actually are kind of parallel with one another. What I don't understand is suburban living. I've never lived in the suburbs. Um, and that's not been a part of my experience. And I, 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 I don't, I can't totally grasp it. Russ, uh, you're, you're like totally immersed in the ELCA. That's a uh, an organization that is very important to us. Uh, I, I'm almost afraid to ask you this question um, <laughs> because I, I fear for what the response is, but I think it's important for us, especially as we're entering into this phase of doing this uh, project called Total Inclusion, uh, you've talked about the good experiences you've had in the LCA. Have there been times when you've experienced prejudice in, in the LCA because of your sexual orientation? I've been really fortunate to not have a lot of really terrible direct experiences. My experience with that traveling oh, music ministry I, I'm team. Breathing, I'm breathing a sigh of relief. Well, <laughs> I think, but I think the other the other thing you to know about me is I also. I'm a pretty cynical person and I have very low expectations, which means that I expect that there are going to be awkwardness or ways that um, that people are not getting it or that people are in opposition. And again, when I was doing this work, you know, trying to make the church more welcoming and inclusive, inclusive, um, there were folks that were absolutely against it. They're all very nice to your face and they're all very pleasant um, to work with, even though I knew that we were kind of working at cross purposes for each other. And I think they knew that too. And so there is the, you know, niceness doesn't equate goodness always. Um, but there is a way in terms of like knowing and understanding a cordiality. Um, and I still want their hearts and minds to change as well. Um, and that happened, that has happened when I've been inside congregations talking, doing work, it's happened at churchwide assemblies. 
I also know this church and this my faith is a part of my identity in the same way that I know that my sexual orientation is part of my identity or my gender identity is part of who I am. And so I don't give that up and I don't cede that to anyone else to define for me what that is or what that means. Um, and that that might be why I waited so long to get ordained as a deacon rather than other folks who, you know, chose a route of getting extraordinarily ordained or, um, or, or not sharing so that they could, because I guess I was less concerned with the credentialing and kind of say, okay, when the church catches up to the ministry I'm doing, then I'm fine to be in relationship with them. But uh, I'm not going to stop doing the ministry I'm doing to be held back because of someone else's concerns or worries or fears. I can work with them on that, but I'm still going to work on my own stuff. The naming project, glad the podcast, the yes, Jesus podcast, the book, right? All that kind of stuff is going to go ahead without waiting for permission from someone else. Is your uh, inclination towards cynicism, having low expectations, walking into situations, is that something that is generally uh, the case with a lot of people who identify as LGBTQ. I think the experience is all over the place, and and maybe where my cynicism comes from is I've I've seen so many folks and heard stories of people that have walked into situations and felt like the rug got pulled out from underneath them. And I will say, when I got kicked out of that traveling music ministry organization, that was an experience like that for me. I joined it because many of my friends had experienced it and said, what a, you know, what a transformative, life-changing experience it was for them. And I wanted that for myself as well. I knew the organization. They knew me. They knew my gifts. They were really excited. And a lot of them are still my friends. It really was ultimately the leadership of the organization, right? Um, and I talk about this for for churches. And I think the same thing is true for camps. You know, we talk about what welcome means and how to live that out in a way. And I sort of think to myself, okay, what are the barriers of welcome? And to know what those things are would be really helpful. So for a congregation, are you going to allow me to walk in the door and sit in the back row of worship? Probably yes. Will you allow me to put some money in the offering plate? Everybody says yes to that. Then you start testing those limits. Can I be a part of the choir or the worship team up front? Can I lead liturgy or offer prayers? Can I teach Sunday school um, or volunteer with the youth as an LGBTQ person? Can I be on the council? Can I uh, preach occasionally? If I feel a call toward ministry, will you support me as I go um, off to seminary? If I fall in love, are you going to um, bless my marriage in the sanctuary, right? And I've seen and heard a lot of stories of folks that get into the community, feel welcome because they're there at worship they're, and they find their small group, they find their friends. But then the limit is, well, I don't know if we want you up front. I don't, we don't want to be known. I, I'll share this story. So I work with folks um, with a very big mega church here in the city. Someone uh, was part of their worship team and a value team. And he was an actor, a singer, a dancer. He performs on Broadway. And so like a great person to have part of your worship team. And then he got on a television show, a reality show. Now 
everyone knew that he was gay and he's on the worship team. And that was suddenly the, the deal breaker for them. It was okay for you to be part of this group that maybe people didn't really recognize, but now that you've been on television and people know that you're gay through this TV show, now we can't have you be upfront anymore. That's what I mean when I talk about the, the cynicism or kind of like waiting, like what's the limits of the welcome? And I am slow to get connected and involved and kind of keep those barriers a little bit for self-protection and wait to see what that's going to look like or do a lot of research on places before I show up. Because I think a lot of people join churches not thinking through what those limits of welcome might be because they're looking for a worship experience or a small group or the peers that they can they can meet with and and folks have and folks have that. And you know to translate that into camp world, we provide really great experiences for young people and their families. And we also probably don't always think through what are some of those weird, awkward limits that we suddenly hit that could kind of erase all the good experiences it has, at least for the person who experiences that act of discrimination or microaggression or, you know, limit in some way and is really going to color their experience of what the camp is like. Um, and, and that's sad, but that's kind of how it works. We often measure things by what our experience with them are. Back to the naming project, but continuing in the same vein. Over the years of doing the naming project, have there been learnings for you as leaders in the naming project? Have there been learnings that can have application for all of our LOMs? I think one of the things I had to learn sort of early on, and I kind of know it now as I look back, one of the rules that I say for myself is when a young person tells you something about themselves, you believe them. I know what experiences like to be gay and didn't always have the level of understanding or knowledge about transgender people that I do. And, um, and I remember one of my campers sort of talking about transgender stuff and, and kind of ignoring it, um, or even, um, or, or ignoring, dismissing, or even making jokes about it. And later realizing, no, that was true. And now a lot, many, most of our campers, um, are somewhere under the transgender umbrella and recognize that, you know, that was a reality that I had to learn for myself is that even as a gay man, I know my life and my experience, but that doesn't mean I know everything about the entire rest of the community. So, so that's one, um, to make sure that you're doing a lot of your own work and your own research, and you're listening to what people are saying, because that's where you're going to learn a lot through people's personal experiences, but you have to kind of supplement that with everything else and having to grow and learn and change that way was really important. And I think that believing what young people say is really important. This shows up, you know, this has applications for mandated reporting and a young person sharing something about themselves and the responsibility of having to do something with it. Right. And so, uh, these are, those are a couple of things. That's one of the biggest learnings that I've had to, that I've had to figure out. The other thing that I've sort of learned is that, what was a big issue for me when I was a youth is not necessarily the same thing that young people are facing today. My experience is not their experience, and I cannot project my experience onto them and understand the world through them. Even as, a, again, as a gay man who's of a certain age, I can't fully know and understand what it means to be a teenager in the, you know, the year 2021. 
for for a young person where there have been advances that have been made, but it's also unearthed a new set of problems that I didn't have to deal with as a young person. And sometimes the issues that they're facing are not related to their sexual orientation or their gender identity. Sometimes kids are kids. I had a young person sort of talk about an argument he had with his mom. And he he said, like, you know, we fought about this because because I'm gay. And as I listened to the argument, I thought, I don't think it's because you're gay. I think it's just because you're 17. Like, this is just you having this is a normal fight that kids have with their parents. And not everything is always about, you know, it's not always about sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, some of it is. And sometimes that compounds it. But young people face issues and challenges all the time. And our job is to walk alongside them, be supportive, perhaps be able to like show possibilities of where they can go. But really, when it comes to their issues and problems, they're going to have to be the ones that do all that solving, solving for themselves, or at least management for themselves. What you have been doing with the naming project is uh, fantastic ministry. Thank you. Because it's so important to provide safe and affirming uh, spaces for all people, and especially those who in the rest of the world can very, not possibly, but probably experience being marginalized. What total inclusion is all about in our LOM camps, in our Lutheran-related camps, is that those same kids who participate in the naming project will feel safe and will feel welcome and feel included uh, in virtually any camp that they would go to. And not just the camps that are specifically for them. It's going to be so important for us to transfer those learnings from the uh, segregated community to the integrated community. And you've just mentioned a couple of things that I think can be very valuable learnings in in terms of doing what we're trying to do with children. I've thought about this a lot lately, too, of, of the relation between what the naming project is and what the rest of the LOM camps are are like, because I think young people need both. I think for them to think or sometimes explore a part of their identity, like their sexual orientation or their gender identity, a set apart place like the naming project is good where they're around other people that are asking themselves similar questions, wrestling with similar issues. They can, you know, talk and debate and well, this is work works for me. They can sort of learn from each other. They can encourage and lift up and they have a basic understanding of what each other is going through. And it is always my hope that they can be part of diverse communities where they're going to be around people that are not like them so they can also learn how to be themselves around people that aren't just like them so you know it's not about just creating a bubble we kind of think sometimes the naming project as a um as an oasis or a way station, a place that you can kind of rest, recharge, feel like you're getting um, imbued and empowered with who you are and that centeredness and your beauty as God's creation. And you go back out into the world so that you can live the rest of your life at school and at work and with your families and with other camps and programs um, so that it, do- it your entire life doesn't have to be about your sexual orientation or your gender identity. Um, but you get to be a full complex person and complex, beautiful, created child of God. Music to my ears. Ross, uh, we're, we're getting 
towards the conclusion of the time we've allotted for this podcast. But um, I've asked you a number of questions as we've gone through the process. And um, I'm wondering, are there any uh, questions that you were hoping I would ask and I haven't asked? <laughs> I think I will say this too. I, you know, we've been running the naming project for 18 years, 17 years um, as this kind of week long camp program at Bay Lake. And last year and this year and the way that we and all the other camps have had to like figure out how what their ministry is going to look like, where our expectations of how the world works really changed was a really interesting sort of challenge for us. And how do we create and sustain a level of community that continues to reach people and have them feel like that they are safe and protected and have that experience knowing that, you know, we're all home, we're all still doing a lot of virtual stuff. And this summer, things are kind of beginning to open back up and what that what that fear is like. And so I always feel that affinity with all these other camp programs that are asking and struggling with those same questions, because that has been a really big struggle for us to figure out how to create that same kind of community. And, you know, do that knowing that it's never as good as being in person. And and we're we're virtual this summer. Um, you know, we're just one week. So when, you know, in like by February, we had to make a decision about what the summer was going to be like. And and I feel like in February I had no idea that um whether things would be open or not. And so we opted for virtual, which um is probably the safest and smartest idea right now, even if that means more Zoom fatigue and less people thinking, oh, I can't do another one of those. But um, but we're, you know, our, our camp's going to be at the last week of July. We're still taking registrations um, at the naming project. And I'm excited that um, that that we've got the group together that we do. Ross, I, I'm going to bring this to a conclusion. And in doing so, I'm going to say thank you for this day. It's been very interesting and informative as I expected and knew it would be. And I also, I, I want to say, you've been involved in the formation of the Total Inclusion Initiative right from the very beginning when we had this uh, think tank, dream team, um, start thinking about what we would say for Margaret A. Cargill philanthropies uh, and uh, what we might do with a grant that they would provide for us. And and now, since we've had the grant, you've been part of the Total Inclusion Steering Committee. You've been a really very, very helpful taking the lead in terms of developing the virtual experiences that will mm-hmm. soon be available, especially those uh, that you've been involved in uh, that focus on kids who identify as LGBTQ. And uh, we're really looking forward to the opportunity for to meet you in person at the at the LOM conference in November in Bloomington, Minnesota. We're going to get you out of the city for a while into another city. Uh, for all of this, we're so grateful and thankful and so appreciative of the many ways in you know, which you're ministry takes place so thank you for that absolutely thank you so much and thank you to everyone at at lom for the work that you do thanks for listening to the only official lutheran outdoor ministry podcast in the entire world 
Until next time, check out the Lutheran Outdoor Ministries website or our Facebook page. So long for now from the Lutheran Outdoor Ministries World Headquarters. On behalf of Don Johnson, have a wonderful day.